Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. This is going to probably end up being one of those four or five potters, so I'll just give you a heads up in advance. I was kindly invited by the RSNA to give the keynote address at their first winter meeting. And you'd say, what's a winter meeting for the RSNA? But the RSNA always meets in the winter in Chicago. This meeting was in Phoenix. And what they asked me to do was uh, present in March 2007 a follow-up to the talk I gave in December 2005 at the opening session of RSNA. And those of you who were there remember that my computer malfunctioned at the start, or I should say my computer worked fine, the AV malfunctioned. And uh, the good news was at this talk, everything worked fine. So the title of the talk, and I'll modify it a bit, was from 4 to 16 to 64, MDCT, When is Enough Enough? And the way I'll better describe that, since no one's going to argue that 64 is where we need to be and 16 surely wasn't enough, is uh, what's the state of the art for 64 slice CT or CT in general in the year 2007? And I'll just go back to some of the questions we raised at that time, and maybe they're good questions to ask now. Is 16 slice CT, 16 detector MDCT enough? Or do you need to do more? Remember, 16-slice scanners are terrific scanners, but, and for many applications, there's no buts. They work very well. But for other applications, cardiac is one, some of the CTA is another. It's just not enough. And 64-slice indeed has tremendous capability. Do we say, is there a need for 64? Is that compared 64 to 16? Or 64 to 128, or maybe 256? 64 is incredible, but I got a feeling I'm going to give the same lecture in a couple of years, and the title will be 64 Slice CT. When is enough enough? And the question will be, is, is 64 the minimum, or is it the maximum? And again, what else do we need if we move to the next generation of CT scanners, which will happen, there's no doubt, over the next couple of years. And if you asked me to answer the question in the greatest of simplicity, I will do as Leonardo said. That simplicity is the ultimate sophistication, and so I'll be very sophisticated, and I'll say no. 16 is not enough. You need to do better. When you look at our evolution of CT, you can see the last couple of years have been astounding. 4 to 16 to 64 to dual source has happened in 6 or 7 years. We're now scanning with scanners that rotate 3 times a second that have slice thicknesses well under a sonometer with spatial resolution about 0.4 millimeters. We can reconstruct at any interval we like, and we now have data sets that range not in the hundreds, but in the thousands of slices. We're able to think about CT not as slices, but as volumes. So if someone said, give me a montage of six CT images, 10 years ago, five years ago, I might have given you five slices that were in the axial or six slices that were axial. Now all I show you is 3D, and whether it's cardiac or it's mesenteric or it's pancreas or it's extremity, this is where CT indeed is. Now if we look at 64 slice CT and you ask me the question, why? What are its advantages? I'm saying to you, spatial resolution, temporal resolution, and isotropic data sets are the three big ones. Now, it's important to recognize that we want to be careful what we measure because in many ways, the newest scanners pick up more lesions, but again, lesion detection alone is not enough. It's really lesion discrimination. We all 
deal with reports that talk about two millimeter nodules. So what? What are you going to do? Correlate clinically? Do you follow every little ditzel up? There's no one who's normal. You have a renal cyst or a liver cyst or a lesion that's too small to classify or a lung nodule that's too small to classify. We want to make sure when we use these advantages, they truly are advantages for the patient that we do things correctly. When we speak about CT in 0.4 millimeters or less spatial resolution, we talk about cases like this where the spatial resolution is critical when you're looking at a four millimeter coronary artery and you're looking at it interactive. And when we speak about temporal resolution, it's when we look at this image and look in 3D interactively, the ability to visualize the LAD and circumflex the myocardial bridging is totally dependent on the speed of scanning as well as the resolution. And the fact we have isotropic data sets allows us to create these 3D models with this exquisite detail. Now, when you speak about temporal resolution, another thing to remember, of course, is it's cardiac where that temporal resolution is really being pushed by the manufacturers. Dual source, we talk about 83 milliseconds. Cardiac cath is 20 milliseconds. We're going to push to that level because if you want to see this patient's coronary arteries that are motion-free and the heart rate is 75 or 80, you need, as in this case, the dual source, and you need to be able to process the data and look at the coronary arteries in 3D and look at their origin and look at their branching. We need to always remember the classic contrast curves of fast rise and fast drop, with a very short plateau, but with 64 slides, we're able to get in and get out. Get arterial phase, get venous phase, get any phase you want, any phase you need, and do it well and do it on a routine basis. We need to be able to look at a tumor like this, which is a cholangiocarcinoma, and recognize the vascularity of those axial images in this infiltrating tumor. And then look at that in 3D where you can see the feeding vessel off the hepatic artery, the infiltration centrally that makes this tumor unresectable, and then recognize as we go from arterial to venous phase, the lesion is not as well seen as there, but it's infiltrating. You really don't get that vascularity. So recognizing that one of the things that temporal resolution buys us is the ability to acquire these multiple phases to look at arterial phase, to look at venous phase, and do the best of both of them. We recognize lesion identification, in this case, focal nodular hyperplasia, central scar early, prominent vessels surrounding the mass, homogeneous enhancement, coronal plane, nice central scar. That feeding, that dilated, enlarged hepatic artery going right to the center of the lesion, increased vascularity without any neovascularity, but look how nicely you see that hypervascular lesion in the liver. Classic for focal nodular hyperplasia. And again, look at 30 versus 60 seconds. Look how the venous structures are draped over the mass. There's no invasiveness. There's no neovascularity. There is indeed mass effect. And again, central scars often fill in on late phase imaging, but it may take at least five minutes. You can see from the other images, look how the vessels are displaced. There's a regularity to the vessels in terms of mass effect, but there's no neovascularity. You see the ventral vessels going sort of in a spoke-like pattern. Very, very nice example. One of my favorites of FNH. And here's comparing axially the uh, 
um, scar and the hypervascular tumor and the increased vascularity developing around the tumor over late phase imaging. And again, I could show you this many different ways, but you really do appreciate how that temporal resolution allows us to do the timing correctly, get the best data that's possible. Compare it to this case, this was a metastatic neuroendocrine tumor, but look at the lesion, rim enhancement, but look at that halo around the lesion. That's abnormal vascularity. You're not going to see that in hemangioma, you're not going to see that in cyst. This is not hemangioma enhancement anyway. This is going to be some sort of vascular lesion. You could argue metastatic islet cell versus metastatic uh, pancreas versus metastatic carcinoid. But it's that peripheral enhancement and that edema, that blush around the lesion. We're not thinking of hemangioma here, which has puddling. This is totally different. And then when you look at the MIP image on the left, you can see some of the neovascularity. This is classic malignancy. Could this have theoretically been a vascular hepatoma? The answer obviously indeed is yes, it could have been. Let me go back to FNH a second. Again, the importance of timing. Image on your left, left lobe, you see the lesion. Image on your right, the lesion is gone. And we can see that in 2D or in 3D. Timing drives our studies. The reverse can happen. Look at this case. Right lobe resected. Look at the left lobe. There's a low-density lesion. Is this lesion tumor? What is going on? When you look at that lesion, it fills in. So you say, gee, maybe it's a mangioma, though it's atypical looking. Maybe it's a other vascular lesion that filled in. But when you look at it in the coronal display, you recognize that what you're seeing was not a true lesion. But just because of the liver change due to resection, uh, the vessels are in funny positions. And what you're really looking at is one of the hepatic veins, which is shown nicely defined when you look at the uh, late phase imaging. So the arterial phase gave us an additional lesion, but it was a pseudo lesion, which would have been a big problem. Again, arterial is not always the answer. In hepatoma, neovascular tumors, it's the answer in many cases, but not always. So again, we use the multiple phases to our advantage. When I spoke about isotropic resolution, anything that uses CTA, anything that does post-processing, needs isotropic resolution. There's no surprise about that. We've spoken about it. It allows us to see small vessels with reconstructions like these intercostal arteries and veins in this patient. Look how nicely you can outline them. Netter, may he rest in peace, could not have done so well. Now, I say all that also with the understanding that something I said before, that CT relies on technology, but it's not just technology. Technology does not make diagnoses. So simply more detectors does not mean a better quality study, and more slices does not mean a better diagnosis. More may be less in many cases. Remember that current state-of-the-art CT is not just about detectors, but about detection of disease. And so when we look at things like scan parameter times, we can talk about all of these parameters from rotation time to tubes to resolution, but we better also be thinking about patient parameters. Can we detect disease earlier? Can we define it better? Can we manage the patient better? These are all the things we need to be thinking about. And so when I think about the future of CT, 
I'm not really that worried about how many detectors I have. I want to know how much information I'm generating per study, and will that information increase, and will that impact patient care? So really, we need to think about a whole new way to, to interpret CT. That old way of looking at axial images is just not enough. And that's what we're going to start talking about when we do part two of this lecture. And with that, I wish you a nice day.